This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. You can find me on the highest mountain. You can find me in the black coal mine. To think about, much less empathize with somebody who comes from five generations of coal miners in a place that looks like this is to our enduring shame unthinkable. Why can't these coal miners get retrained, maybe put up solar panels for a living? Why would these conservative, deeply religious people vote for a thrice-married billionaire New Yorker? Well, I went to West Virginia, and you know what? Screw you. Here in the heart of every belief system I've ever mocked or fought against, I was welcomed with open arms by everyone. I found a place both heartbreaking and beautiful. A place that symbolizes and contains everything wrong and everything wonderful and hopeful about America. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mountaineer Media Podcast, where we tell authentic West Virginia stories. Good morning, CJ. It's year three of Mountaineer yes, Media. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Year three, feeling better than ever. We've got a great guest in line today, and then just each year we have tacked on like a new layer, a new level of activity or promotion or something that we are trying to accomplish, a new goal We each year we've we've kind of challenged ourselves to start the year strong and really go after achieving some high-level goals and really just continue to promote West Virginia in a variety of ways. And we definitely are doing that. And this is, what a way, what an awesome, incredible way for us to kick off year three with an awesome guest and then talking about a bunch of cool things that we've got in store, including what is going to hopefully kind of kick off year four next year but we're planting the seeds and working on that right now cooper yeah just a lot of great stuff in the works man and blessed to see year three with a a crew like you guys you guys are awesome thanks for uh keeping up with everything that we're doing yeah thanks for the compliment cj on this morning that we're recording this but yeah guys so if you're mason mason's behind the mic too he he doesn't have a mic not behind the mic he's behind the uh, producer board so but a shout out to him as well. Mason's still on the boards. Um, yeah, still running the show here. Yeah, look, it, it feels great. Year three, it feels incredible. Top, pandemic time doesn't make sense. You know, we, I could be 30 all of a sudden. If you told me, and I would believe it. Um, but yeah, look, so if you've tuned in, Morgan Fallon is our guest this week. We're going to get to him in the interview shortly. But, you know, I'm starting to tease it on social media. Morgan Fallon, guys, is a nine-time Emmy-nominated executive producer, director, and cinema photographer. That's a tough word for me to get through, but I did it. Um, but basically, <laughs> look, he's, in, in short, he spent a decade with Anthony Bourdain on No Reservations and Parts Unknown. He played a key role in the West Virginia episode. We dive into all of that. He has a childhood stint in West Virginia that we get to. So this interview was uh, incredible. I, Anthony Bourdain has been an idol. Uh, the late Anthony Bourdain was an idol to me. So getting this guy on here and hearing directly about these stories was was simply crazy. It, it was mind-blowing. It was a blast. Well, I think well, it was awesome. Morgan, Morgan is just an, a downright awesome person tells he's an incredible storyteller he is a guy that has lived his life behind the camera for the majority of it but 
even on camera, he is an incredible storyteller. Or in front of the microphone, he he just has these these perfect anecdotes and this perfect ability to capture the emotion surrounding certain events that he's lived through and you know he really does kind of capture his feelings for Tony and how close they were and really the impact that Tony's death had on him and ultimately that where that's led him now and how that's kind of guided him to where he's at now so very very enthralling episode of an emotional episode to a point but this is the nugget that I like to get into uh you Cooper you were shared because I didn't know this until you'd shared that Morgan was on Joe Rogan so today year three officially the Mountaineer Media podcast going head to head with the Joe Rogan experience so that's that's really I think what uh, we need to yeah we need to make a note here no but Morgan certainly has gotten a lot of publicity over the years, obviously a decade of service for CNN producing and directing uh, with Tony Bourdain and and just all of the experiences that they had. And then we get into the great Emmy story and the lunchbox story with Anthony Bourdain. And if you don't know it, definitely stick around because it's worth hearing because we've talked about that before and it's definitely worth revisiting and talking about those two stories again. And so definitely stick ahead, Morgan Fallon. It's going to be a great episode. You're really, really going to enjoy this one. Yeah, guys. And look, you're going to hear some familiar names, right? Jenna Belcher, the whole Lunchbox story. Uh, and you'll find, maybe we'll put out some social clips. He actually has the tattoo of the chef's knife that uh, Bourdain drew uh, for the family. So, And also Crystal Good. Crystal Good was, I think, the guest number like three or four, maybe like five, maybe really, really early on on Mountaineer Media Podcast. Um, it's hard to quite capture all of what Crystal is up to. Um, Black by God is a publication that she runs, uh, just various advocacy work and, you know, talking about West Virginia in a real authentic way. Well, Morgan is also connected to her because he was a key part in the United Shades of America, which airs on CNN July 17th. So he was a producer director behind the scenes on that and on the show uh more um crystal good is featured on that so we would get into talking about that so i promise that interview is coming shortly we do want to talk about a few other things that we have going on as cj uh led the opening of this with year three means that we're growing and expanding and that means we're planning something called the almost heaven classic you guys have heard us probably talk about it by now if you follow us on social media if you've listened to the podcast the almost heaven classic is going to take place in 2023 so literally a year from now a couple weeks but a year from now uh we're gonna all get together in canane valley resort and we're gonna have a two-day networking golf tournament West Virginia celebration uh, keynote speaker event, right? The whole goal of it is to do what we do on the podcast, right? Talk about West Virginia, bring people together, promote business and prosperity in the state, conversations that help West Virginia move forward. That's all going to happen one year from now. But if you're listening to this and you want to enter the golf tournament, we'll have reservations up shortly. It's going to be a four-person team. More details on that coming. But also, if you're an organization or small business and you're thinking, hmm, I'd like to maybe sponsor that. Well, we welcome that. But we'd be remiss not to mention that we do have a title sponsor already. And that's Star USA Federal Credit Union. They are the title sponsor of the Almost Heaven Classic. 
but there's plenty of opportunities to work in various sponsorships, whole sponsorships, maybe a beverage cart, long drive closest to the pin. So if you're interested in your West Virginia business being a key part of this event that we think is going to bring hundreds of people to Canaan Valley, but also make thousands and thousands of impressions online before that, email mountaineermediapodcast at gmail.com. That's mountaineermediapodcast at gmail.com. So we're super stoked about that. CJ, other news, you checked out the regatta. How was the regatta in Charleston? Uh, based on the numbers, it looked like an unbelievable smashing success. But what was it like being on the ground down there? Yeah, yeah. The regatta was a different level of excitement that Charleston hasn't seen in a long time. At least it felt that way. And just honestly, it felt like uh, we all went to WVU. And for anybody else that went to WVU, Fall Fest has been going on for a long, long time. It felt like five days of straight Fall Fest. Is it was a similar, <laughs> a similar party. atmosphere, a big old party from morning, noon to night, and each night was capped off with pretty much a big act of some sort. And then obviously Sunday and Monday they had a couple of extra activities as well. And Sunday they had Rick Springfield, which was I heard pretty good. And then Saturday they had Martina McBride, and uh, th they just had a bunch of neat, you know, acts that people in this region know well. And so it it ended up being a, a smashing success, I think, and something that Charleston will continue to do. Although there that doesn't come without problems. Like I've been talking to some people, like. The, there's always that question like, why did they ever get rid of regatta? Why did they ever get rid of regatta, you know, 15 plus years ago? And I kind of see why now. And I'm not saying that Charleston is going to get rid of regatta anytime soon. That's not what I'm advocating for. It's uh, an awesome, fantastic way for people to come into the, the capital city and see what West Virginia has to offer. But there was a lot of cleanup. And you need seven to 800 dedicated workers after the fact to make sure that, you know, the boulevard is clean the levee is clean again, that trash doesn't flow into the water. And, you know, like the entire landscaping there on the boulevard, right where they have live on the levee at Haddad Riverfront Park, totally destroyed. So things are going to need to be replanted. I mean, there was a recovery process that comes with after the regatta experience. So although the regatta was an absolute smashing hit, it's there are people behind the scenes that are not just the setup and the 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 shutdown, but the cleanup that truly needs to happen for probably three, four, five days after the regatta. So smashing success. And thank you to all of the people who are just kind of, you know, making sure that that place is spotless after the regatta. Uh, that's my two cents on the matter. Of course, it truly was just an absolute blast, an absolute 110% success. Yeah. And I hope that they continue to do so, and they will. Amy Good, Amy Schuler Goodwin, the mayor here in Charleston, I think she was just she was over the moon with the success of it, and just getting her reaction when she was down there interacting with people, and she introduced all of the acts throughout the week, you know. So she she was fired up about this. How could you not be? And it will be back. It's just that there is quite the cleanup process that I hope people don't forget. So if you go to regatta, just throw your damn trash away, please throw your trash away, recycle, just make sure you do your part to clean up because that's part of this experience as well. Making sure that it's left 
how it was before Regatta started. People want it to be clean because you don't want to have Regatta, Regatta and then the, the entire boulevard is just a mess until the next Regatta. So, you know, you, just, just you make sure you clean things up. CJ for Chief Recycling Officer. He's running. You can vote for him at MountaineerMedia.org. <laughs> but look, guys, good point, CJ. Also, good point. Um, hopefully, you know, it does come around from that. But also, we had tons of connections. Jim Strawn played a key role. He was hosting live events down there, former guest on the podcast, episode 77. Andy Richardson was down there. I think he played a key role in planning it and promoting it. Jennifer Farr, episode 71 of the Mountaineer Media Podcast, she played a key role in making this happen. Oh, the, uh, Landau Eugene Murphy, former guest on the podcast, performed with our buddy Tanner Davis on stage. So it was kind of just wild to see all of it kind of come together. So, yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, another another thing I want to slide in there before we get to this episode with Morgan is that in year three, I think we're trying to, we're not shifting our, our landscape or shifting our MO in terms of storytelling. We're really doubling down on it, but it's the art, the, the way that we're going to tell stories, I think is going to change a little bit. So we've talked about this piece that Mason Jack wrote about the history of the Ohio River in Moundsville and this mysterious Grave Creek stone that was found in the mound in Moundsville. That full story is over on our website. But next week and at the end of this month, we're going to revamp that and turn that into an audio version. We're going to have a podcast version of that. And we're tweaking a few things so it's not they're not identical stories. And the presentation is just going to be a little bit different. So what I kind of want to throw in there is if anybody has a very good... We're not doing true crime. That's not the, the realm that we're going into. But if anybody does have a good mystery or a good story that they think maybe we should further explore or could do something like this where it's turned into more of a... Almost a theatrical piece, more or less. Please let us know. But that piece is going to be coming out next week. The Gravediggers of Moundsville Part 1 will be coming out next week. And all three of us are going to have a role in that. And I'm stoked about it. And I think that's going to be uh, another one of... Uh, another piece of the storytelling aspect that we're already presenting. It's just going to be a little different. And I hope people enjoy what we are doing with that. And hopefully we can keep up doing that as well because they're fun they're different they're different than just interviews these are you're telling more of a straightforward story there's one direction instead of you know just interviewing people too so a lot of different ways to tell stories and we're going to try and start diving into those other pools of storytelling aspects so stick around for that the grave diggers of Moundsville part one coming out next week all right, guys, let's get to the interview. Morgan Fallon, nine-time Emmy-nominated. Let's get to it right now on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. The uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, welcome back to season three, CJ. Of the Boom, Media season <laughs> three, baby. Welcome back. We season are three. back, man. It's feeling three good. Years. Better three than years. ever. Three years. Three, three, four years, or well, two years, but starting season three of telling authentic West Virginia stories. And we got Mo. What's up, Mo? How you doing, man? Good. How you doing? 
<laughs> we're doing phenomenal. We're doing phenomenal. And I want to start this episode and really just sharing, I guess, how I came across it. I think it's kind of funny. So I'm driving in my car. I currently live in Pennsylvania, right? So I'm, I'm driving back to West Virginia, literally, you know, the feeling every West Virginian had are headed back to almost heaven, driving down. I think I was on Interstate 79 coming through uh in morgantown you know passing morgantown coming down interstate 79 i'm driving i'm listening to the tim ferris podcast a uh, big fan yeah. of tim ferris and i'm just listening to it and i selected the episode really by just the description i think i think bourdain's name was in the description i'm like oh wow this guy yeah. is like affiliated with bourdain like i love bourdain like i've yeah. literally consumed every piece of you know show that's out there had no idea obviously of the west virginia connection so i'm driving awesome. thank it, you yeah, and then Tim mentions, he says, you know, he mentioned something about West Virginia. And I was just, oh my God, I was like, mind yeah. blown. And then, you know, foreshadowing, you guys get into talking about leaving the Emmy with the family that you were down there. I was like, oh my God, we had Jenna Belcher on the podcast. Yeah. And at that point, I was just like, we have to have to reach out to this guy. So, so awesome to have you on. But let me guess, just start, you know, get to all the projects and the work, but maybe just start, help us understand your relationship with West Virginia. Like, when did that, was it born and raised or moved there later in life or how no. did that all happen? Yeah, totally. And I'm going to be like, you know, I, I mean, honestly, it's like very much West Virginia light, you know, um, in terms of like the amount of actual like kind of blood equity and mm -hmm. time I spent in West Virginia. However, in, in terms of like how formative and uh, how much that time in West Virginia became like a part of me is like a whole different story because wow. I never, I never kind of, I never lost it. So we were, my family were, um, kind of part of the back to lander kind of hippie movement uh coming out of the 60s right and so yeah. i think around 79 80 i was about four years old we landed in west virginia on a small piece of property in uh, pocahontas county that my dad was uh building like you know the back to the land house on um it is uh still to this day uh just a hole in the ground um so that project was never finished but what it did mean is that well he was building the house uh or at least laying the foundation which is still there um i uh i lived kind of with my mom in uh in various places around that area so we lived in marlinton we lived in a uh an old cabin with no electricity no running water up in rennick uh, we lived in a farmhouse um that at the time was just like a farmhouse i went back a few years ago and it's like Range Rover in the driveway and it's called like now it's called like Breezy Winds Farm or some shit like that that I'm like what, what? Like, it like like it has like none of the original character left you know but we lived in this cool old farmhouse at the time that was like a like a real legit working farm you know um that was up outside of Rennick as well uh and and so you know it was about two years there but like truthfully you know it was this period of time where I was like alone with my mom most of the time in like super formative years we were like out in nature a lot and kind of um playing you know and using our imaginations based on all of the kind of stuff that you find when you're out in the woods in West Virginia you know mm -hmm. and I think that left an impression on me that um that stuck with me for a very long time you know also and I and I think you know, there's a lot of folks that can maybe like relate to this too. There was like, there was a hard side of that too. You know, um, we, you know, we didn't have much money. We lived in some kind of rough spots. Uh, Marlinton at that time, you know, no shade on Marlinton. It's a great, great town. I've been there since, but like, it was kind of a rough spot. 
too. And so there was like, there was also like a kind of a heaviness that, that stuck with me too. I think living a life where we really didn't have any money. Um, you know, we were kind of in and out of, you know, trailer parks, places like that, you know, that, you know, I mean, for, for folks that have lived, you know, without money, they'll, they'll kind of know, you know, yeah. uh, how that sticks with you too. Um, and so there was this kind of duality about West Virginia that had always stuck with me. And then there's the other side of it, which is just the sheer unbelievable physical beauty of West Virginia and the sheer unbelievable beauty of the people of West Virginia and the wow. just incredibly gracious spirit um, that you find there that has been completely misrepresented uh, by the rest of kind of mainstream media. And so I, from the moment I started making television, it was like one day we're going to get back there. And I had kind of made an attempt in 2005 um, and then it was many years of kind of hustling, then fell into the position with Tony, uh, on parts unknown. And, um, once I kind of, you know, built my foundation there and got enough, uh, trust built with him to be able to pitch concepts. I was like, <laughs> we're going to West Virginia. <laughs> That's I said, awesome. I said it, I, I said, you know, I said it was in a, uh, in an equipment room that we had, uh, at McMurdo station in Antarctica. We're sitting around drinking beers. Uh, just all shooting the shit one night and I had been thinking about it and I was like Tony we gotta go to West Virginia and he was a immediately I thought I was gonna have to sell him on it he was immediately like absolutely 100% we gotta go Cooper you know they say variety is the spice of life and Ray's rub it only makes sense has 21 mouth-watering herbs and spices Talk about variety. 21, man, that's uh, you, you can't beat that. And when it comes to seasoning your meats and veggies, Raised Rub is certainly the way to go. Absolutely. And guys, it can be applied to anything. If you go to RaiseRub.com or shop on Amazon, you can get a bottle of Raised Rub. We had the founder, Brody Prudnick, on the podcast. It's an awesome story. His father, his late father, started this business and Brody is carrying it on. Raised Rub can be applied to anything, right? Beef, chicken, wild game, casserole, stew, the list goes on and on. It's your call. They promise that once you try it, it's going to be the only seasoning that you want to buy. RaiseRub.com cj when i needed an engagement ring i knew it was important to me that i shop at a west virginia business so i checked out calvin broils in charleston and they blew me away they are west virginia's only third generation family owned and operated jewelry business and they continue to honor their traditions of security confidence and guidance when helping folks pick out jewelry gifts in the great state of west virginia yeah, and you don't have to be just in Charleston to find them. They do have their location in the capital city, but they're also in Taze Valley and Beckley. You can also find them at calvinbroils.com. That's calvinbroils.com. So now that you've had like several connections and worked on projects in West Virginia, how cool of like a full circle aspect of that, right? You worked with Tony totally. and the incredible episode that was when you came to West Virginia yeah. and then United Shades of Grey, you just did an episode with Crystal Good, who's another former yeah. guest on the podcast. Like you have all of these yeah. little details and, and stories of coming back to the place kind of where your life and yeah. some of the values that you were instilled in you at a young age started. And how cool has that been over the last decade, two decades? 
Super cool. Point, point, just small point of clarification. United Shades of Grey is a very different show that involves a lot more leather and uh, tying people down than United Shades of America, which yes. is the episode of the show that we shot. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> United Shades of Grey. Yeah, it was spicy. Man. <laughs> That's a different version than I saw. CJ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that what I said? Did I say yeah. Shades of Grey or America? I, you, oh, you know, listen. I don't listen, even know what I don't, said. Don't feel bad about it because the, that happens quite a bit i think that uh you know i think it happens but it's maybe somewhere you know uh dakota johnson burns into the back of all of our memories <laughs> so um i yeah it, i mean it really is like that was kind of part of the whole thing too i i think that you know when when maybe when you're lucky enough to be like in some of the positions that i've been able to be in as a creative there you you, you kind of admittedly and and this is like i hope none of, you know none of the future network executives or buyers are listening right now because <laughs> you know you kind of you kind of end up doing two things and this is something that tony very much to, did too you, you there's a personal element to it and if you have the freedom to tell the stories that you want to tell like obviously with any creative you know you're going to want to 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 express that and you're going to want to satisfy something that is personal as well as telling like a great story about a place that deserves to have a great story told about it that's like really common in like feature films and stuff when you think of like auteurs but like (laughs) maybe not surprisingly in documentary television you don't get that many opportunities to to do stuff like that and so I, I will admit from the beginning I definitely had an axe to grind going down there both times uh you know from the very beginning and that was that I needed to reconcile this very personal story that had this incredible duality for, you know, for me, this, these amazing moments of joy and wonder and beauty, you know, kind of with my mom in these very kind of scary, uh, dark, you know, moments. And again, sure. no shade. I, I won't mention the particular town this time, but, you know, we were chased out of a town. Uh, my mom and I, uh, I don't exactly even know why I, it, it was something, but my, my mom was, you know, she was eight months pregnant and, uh, and we were, we were chased out of there under threat of violence. Um, and that, you know, so there were things that had happened to me when I was a kid there too, that, that really stuck with me that I also felt like I needed to like go and face and like reconcile. Wow. That's the personal part, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other part of it and the, the, vastly more important part that I, you know, that I should stress vastly more important part um, is, is being able to use the power of like a platform like Tony's to come down and say like, Hey, like, you know, this show is called parts unknown and we're going to film it in central Appalachia, you know, that from the beginning, it's like, people are like, you know, shouldn't you be in like Uganda or something, you know, it's like, yeah, but, but it is a part unknown because of the way that it that the 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 culture and the landscape has been portrayed um i feel incredibly unfairly from for a very long time and uh, you know i'm sure there's gonna be a little bit of eye rolling here as i'm kind of like an outside you know voice looking in you know um but as i kind of looked at the history of the area and i'm talking i guess more central appalachia in general mm-hmm. now but definitely a focus on west virginia and southern west virginia in particular you know um this the 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 portrayal especially of late in the media is completely incongruous with what i knew you know um and what i believed about the place and what i had experienced in subsequent trips you know uh especially in relation to the character and content uh and heart of the people 
you know, um, who live there and who are like as much, I mean, who is more like bedrock America, you know? And yet we've had this very kind of gross uh, misrepresentation of who folks are. That was the second part of it was like, this story needs to be reconciled. I have access and, and Tony believes in this project and, uh, and we got to go down and, and we got to do this. And I can only hope that we did it right. You know? Well, I think, I mean, cer- right. certainly from a, from a West Virginia, certainly, certainly yeah, exactly. Did. And my theory on that is, is Mo, is that I think West Virginia suffers from that. You've ever heard like the Florida man theory of the news where it's always like, a Florida man does something crazy, and so you just use that line. Wrestles <laughs> yeah, an alligator. Yeah, that's true. Fill in the blank. Yeah, but like crazy headline. Florida man does this, and it's all just like a repeatable, consumable piece of news or yeah, story, right. and then everything goes with it. I think West Virginia has suffered from that, where it's like if you can find a podunk hillbilly story, slap West Virginia name on it, and then the greater you know American conscious can just consume it all, and it, it makes sense. They just it's bottled up, bottled up in their mind. It's a package right. in itself. And I think, you know, we part of founding this podcast was to try to tell authentic West Virginia stories, you know, very much like your all's mission is to, to show that the diversity, the nuance that it is very much different than it's portrayed. Something yeah. that I think you touched on in the Tim Ferriss episode is that Tony kind of instantly saw that what was that kind of and for you, yeah. maybe even had you because you, you end up going to Emerson, you know, you, you do other projects before yep. this. Had you had the time to reflect on it before that, or you were you? Do you feel like you almost were both kind of almost like just rediscovering it in a way, and he was able to pick up on it? But for you, it was like, oh wow, like it's kind of unlocking, like almost like some past stuff in my mind or something. I mean, there there was definitely an element of that. There was definitely some unlocking of you know kind of past stuff. But I do feel like I kind of I understood exactly what we were looking for down there and what mm-hmm. I thought Tony would respond to. I mean, it's the Linda McKinney's, right? You know, like, go spend five minutes with Linda McKinney and you cannot deny who that person is. She's a, she is a, she's a, you know, an ardent Christian who really truly believes the ethos and lives it out in every expression of that. She is gracious of heart and big and embracing and welcoming and literally took this group of, you know, stranger New Yorkers that worked for, you know, <coughs> CNN, um, <laughs> and, and invited them into her house, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and opened her life and her heart and her family up to us, like, and, and it's like, you, you know, when I talk about that, like, in the context of, like, New York or LA, it's like, oh, look at this unique singular person. And it's like, yeah, but you go down to Southern West Virginia, and that's not unique or singular. Right. Yeah. Like, there's, there's so many people that will do the same, right. you know. So I, I feel like I knew that. Um, what I didn't know is, like, you know, and, and again, I ended up feeling kind of, like, a little bit foolish in the end, because, like, of course, of course he got it, you know. But I didn't know, like, can you take Tony to a place that doesn't, you know, there's a, there isn't a food scene. I mean, we know this. There's a yeah, food right. history. There's mm-hmm. a very important food history. But there's not so there's not a food scene. It's burgeoning and it's building. And, and there are people like Mike Costello who are like mm-hmm. building that, you know. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not it's not going to Copenhagen. Right. right. Yeah. It was it was, again, 
you know, the second day that we were there, we had had dinner at Linda's house. We had gone to war and met with uh, Elaine McMillian Sheldon and uh, Nick. um, I'm sorry. Now I'm forgetting Nick Nick Mullins. two very intelligent people with real, real, you know, serious bloodstock in, in central Appalachia, Mm -hmm. um, who understand the context of central Appalachia, uh, and explained it to Tony in, in very clear terms. And then we had gone down, uh, you know, in the mines and Mm -hmm. had lunch with miners, uh, in a, in a totally I think what was kind of a totally unique way in the media because we didn't like try to paint them in any direction we just went down and had lunch just, with them and then yeah. left you yeah. know what I mean yeah uh and uh and and it was it was after that we had gone to shoot the homecoming parade um for Mount View High School uh yep you went to the and, football game and yeah yeah that was the best uh, and, it, and it was during that parade that the tweets started coming out and that in and, and it was an immediate recognition that um, that, yeah, of course, you get <laughs> like, of course, man, like you, how could you how could you underestimate this man, you know, yeah. uh, and I, I maybe I had a little bit, um, but it was wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, and I and we got back there that night and Tony's sitting on the steps of the Count Kalu Hotel, literally my favorite hotel in the United States, Count Kalu Hotel in Bor- or in, uh, in Welsh. Uh, <laughs> and he's sitting there on the steps and, and we just ended up, you know, like sipping whiskey all night and and talking about it and talking about this place. And, and that was it. That set off this incredible journey through that week, um, which culminated in us winning an Emmy for the show. So, yeah. you know. Who you, what you ended up giving to Linda, correct? Who is the, the, the mother oh, of right, Jenna yes. Belcher. And, and yeah, so exactly. that was almost in yeah. memoriam to that visit and Anthony and Tony, right? That's correct. It's, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a crazy story. So, you know, and, 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 an incredibly sad story and, and one that I still feel every day, you know, but um, this is how it went down. I, you know, we had, uh, we had gone there and, and we needed a, we needed like a lunch pail, um, yeah. or, uh, to go down in the mine. Right. And so, so we borrowed Bob's, uh, Bob McKinney's, uh, lunch pail and went down in the mine and proceeded to lose it. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and so Linda's talking to like, a, I think a local journalist, like a few months later and mentions in the article, like, yeah, it was all right, but you know, they lost Bob's lunch pail. And I think that she was, she was just joking. I get a, co- a phone call from Tony and he's like, he's like, did we lose Bob McKinney's lunch pail? And I'm like, I guess so, dude. He's like, that's not cool, man. I was like, I was like, I know, man, I'm sorry. I wasn't even really, really aware of it until this moment. And he's like, well, we have to do something for them. And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I was like, he's like, I'm going to be in Santa Barbara in two weeks and, and just come up, you know, I'm, I'm based in LA. So he's like, just come up and we'll, we'll figure something out. So I ordered a new lunch pail, went up, got the thing signed, uh, and, uh, and got, uh, uh, he, Tony drew his knife on it. Mm-hmm. Same drawing that I have on my arm oh here. My literally, wow. the, the one, the one from the, this is the one from the lunch pail, right? Oh my gosh. Wow. That, that night. Uh, so, so that night I go, I go home and I send it. Um, two weeks later I get, uh, this is June 7th, uh, 2018. I get a phone call from Linda McKinney and she's like, we just got the lunch pail. We can't believe it. And 12 hours later, I got a text from her saying, Oh my God, call me. 
you know, and, yeah. uh, and Tony had died and it just all happened just in that way. And in that sequence of events. And, and I think that it, it summarizes in a lot of ways, like also just kind of like who he was, you know, like, he's like, dude, he's in like fucking Prague or something, you know, yeah. just like recovering from like a, you know, Michelin star meal, hanging out with some <laughs> famous director or something. And he's like, shit, we got to get Bob McKinney a new lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> it's sitting, it's weighing on him. It's wow. weighing on him. That's, <laughs> but, that's, but that's who he was, you know? And so the, the roundness of how that kind of all came together, uh, I think was really impactful. Anyways, when, when we, uh, when we won the Emmy, I mean, I, there's, there's kind of a couple things going on here. One is like, I just felt like we needed to do something, you know, mm-hmm. for them. So, so there's not a lot that I, you know, I can personally do or do whatever for five loaves, two fishes, her nonprofit that, um, that feeds a lot of people in McDowell County there. Um, but I, I felt like there was something we could offer, you know, and I felt like that maybe would be cool for people to have that there. Mm-hmm. um i also just really feel like they're the kind of the ones that earn it i mean we go and we point the cameras and we get to go on all these cool trips and shit but like the truth is we're capitalizing on you know on who people are luckily we're capitalizing on it in a nice way in this case mm-hmm. yeah you know um and so I, I felt like they needed something and then there was like definitely the personal acts to grind where i felt like that was like the achievement of kind of the goal to go back and reconcile like that place and like understand it and like go forward with like the love i have for the place and not some of the some of the negative associations that i had had from from kind of some of the things that happened in childhood and so Mm -hmm. leaving that there felt like well here in this place where like you know, let's, let's be totally honest. Hollywood is an extractive event, uh, you know, uh, uh, enterprise, right. It, sure. it, it is an, an extractive business. Um, and in a place that has a very storied history with extractive enterprises, I felt like we could leave. So, some, yeah. You know? Since it's inception. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you, and what was funny, cause I mean, I, for everyone I've talked to, like, even if you weren't from West Virginia, I'm sure it gave you that authentic experience, but even West Virginians feel like, wow, that, that kind of nailed it. Like that kind of was a represent, oh, like a awesome. lot of folks, you know, exactly yeah. resonated with it. I think you're spot on cool. with a lot of your observations of it and how it resonated with everybody. Um, I love this idea that it may or may not have happened had you not gotten in Tony's good graces, maybe a couple of late oh, night glasses definitely. of whiskey got you kind of yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in his good spot. And then you pitch this in Antarctica. Like this doesn't happen. That that trip to West Virginia doesn't happen if you don't, you know, kind of befriend Tony at a more personal level, not just a professional level, which is like uh, even that's cooler in itself. True. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And I think that that was like, that was part of it is that he, he kind of like understood that it was, you know, Meaningful. also personal to me. Yeah. yeah. You and know. so, and he, let, fo- and he let me tell my story. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> for cool. folks listening, Anthony Bourdain, the parts unknown. How long did you? I mean, you were, if you don't mind, give us like your formal title. You spent was it nearly ten years? Was it the full traveling, or how long? Yeah, I spent ten years with him uh, traveling, two thousand eight to two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. And I should acknowledge that there were folks that were there a lot longer than me. You know, yeah. uh, I was still like, you know, among kind of like the inner core group, I was still a little bit like the noob, you know, it, about 10 years. Well, you know? this, yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how loyal. <laughs> yeah. that's Talk how about putting loyal, in some work. You know? Yeah, that's right. You talk about people like Todd Liebler and Zach Zamboni and Tom Vitale and those cats have been there for, you know, I think 17 years in the case of Tom oh, wow. and Todd and 
maybe 15, 14 years in the case of Zach, you know, so yeah. um, there were, and, and obviously, you know, Lydia Tenalia and Chris Collins, who started the show, you know, had been there for the full ride, you know, sure. so. Well, you told the story, you told a funny story about, I think you were like on top of a car, like flying through a desert and like, Tony yeah, kind of like, kind of, yeah. he, he kind of like, that was almost like a moment of like, all right, this guy's like, he's got, he's got a wild guy. He's down for, he's down for whatever. Yeah, man. It was a couple of things, you know, like he'd come up like in kitchens, you know, and what works in kitchens are people who are just dedicated beyond, uh, beyond what I guess sometimes is physically reasonable. And I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not espousing a certain type of work ethic in film. There's a lot of taking advantage of crew members in film. And I'm not telling any young crew members that they should be willing to risk life and limb uh, to so make sure, yeah. a project yeah. or that that should be the expectation, you know, within the film industry. However, I was for this show and for him and, and it was something that he appreciated. I think having, come up in kitchens and understanding that like a yeah. certain type of work ethic works. If you're looking for a job in West Virginia, or if you're a small business that's looking to hire 10, 15, heck, maybe 50 employees, well, then you have to talk to our friends at Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Yeah, Bill Carter is the president and CEO of MES, and they've got two locations, Charleston and Morgantown, but they are looking for people to fill jobs all over the state of West Virginia. So make sure to check them out, beamountaineer.com, beamountaineer.com. If you're looking to buy, sell, rent, flip, or finance real estate projects in Southern West Virginia, you gotta talk to our friends, Jordan Christ and Jacob Skinner at Building Appalachia. Buildingappalachia.com is the website. We had Jordan and Jacob both on the podcast. Great dudes, they want to make West Virginia beautiful. That is their entire MO. They are going through beautification projects in Kanawha, Putnam, and Cabell County. So if you're looking to live in one of those places, they can hook you up, man. So make sure to go check them out at buildingappalachia.com. Tell them Mountaineer Media sent you. I wanted to transition into this because it's another little unique between us and you, uh, me personally, but you went to school at Emerson, uh, yeah. Emerson College in Boston. and. Yeah. Yeah. downtown and man that's that's where i went to school now granted you weren't you didn't no go way. from west virginia to emerson you were elsewhere where, you, where were you living cleveland were you in ohio and new then you new hampshire. new hampshire totally different so, world yeah cleveland, yeah we but. ended up uh we ended up settling um shortly after our stint in west virginia we ended up settling in new hampshire and wolfboro yeah. new hampshire actually where i am right now uh okay. with my family uh yeah. visiting so yeah um and uh and that's where i grew up you know listen a lot of the same things it's still country yeah, yeah. you know yeah. we're still from a small town you know? yeah. yeah no exactly so. to clarify i did not graduate from emerson i went to i studied there for a semester realized that uh wild and wonderful was probably the place i was meant to be and ended yep. up going to wvu and graduated from there with uh, the girls that we I do the podcast here with cooper and i ended awesome. up being roommates but uh it was just another unique little connection and man yeah. I mean, not a lot of people know tiny emerson college in downtown one of the many many well, schools in boston and it's that's uh, true but it's very niche of if you're in performance yeah. or television or broadcast you know it's it's very niche big time i mean like out in la it's like ubiquitous you know i mean yeah. the thing about emerson let's just say again for the, the emerson plug is like they graduate technicians and so you come out of the school like 
knowing how to work on set you know there's a lot of other programs that are theoretical you know that are amazing programs um they'll tell you what to do just they don't show you how to do it right at emerson you kind of come out knowing and and so like i've i mean man i get a lot of my very successful friends in the film and television industry are all emerson graduates you know so Well, let me ask you this. I'd be interested in hearing yeah. your point of view on this um, and see if you resonate with this belief of mine, because, you know, you've, you've traveled so much, right? So and you've lived, you know, at various parts of the world. I think like somewhere I've read, you know, like 60 countries, all the all the continents, right? Um, or most of the continents, maybe. Um, you know, for, for me, West Virginia is always home. It feels like West Virginians can identify that as home. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I almost have d- developed this sense of home where, home like where what is home almost feels like a philosophical question meaning like are you with the people you love doing what you love that almost feels like home so like for you where feels like home like does the road feel like home does west virginia feel like home does new hampshire you know i'm saying like kind of does that make does that make sense (laughs) like yeah i i i do i you know, I think that when when I was younger, like there was a real sense of security that came with like a physical location that was home for me. I guess that was New Hampshire because I had spent the majority of my like formative years uh, here. I think as you come as you get older and maybe come more to peace with yourself, uh, that sense of home becomes internal, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like something you carry with you. And maybe this is also, you know, I don't have another set of eyes to look at it through but you know maybe it's also a product of um of traveling quite a bit and kind of Mm -hmm. having to learn to rely on that like i won't lie like as a full-grown man you know age 38 to 40 i've had some very dark lonely nights in hotels around the world where i'm like you know basically on the verge of tears because i miss my family or i miss my you know uh you know my you know my sense of place so much you know but like um, I do think that you start to like kind of carry that more and it becomes it kind of like is in little moments. You know, if I could go to Tangiers right now and sit on a like on a roof terrace and listen to the minarets, uh, you know, call to prayer, uh, mm-hmm. evening call to prayer, I would feel very home. I, oh, I would yeah. feel like like there was something, you know, deep in me that was like really kind of, you know, loves and associates that and has a real sense of place. Uh, and belonging there um and this morning i was sitting on the river you know where my family house is and like it's home you know it's home, yeah. but I, I think it does start to kind of spread around into little you know places that it's sure, yeah. memories or feelings or you know whatever right now i live in woodland hills you know and yeah. uh, in, in los angeles and that's home <laughs> man and like if yeah. you had ever told me that that ridiculous you know sprawl of asphalt and you know and mini malls would be like the place i would consider most home i would have been like dude you know but but there it is it's where my kids are you know yeah that's the place i love do you tell your kids like hey we're moving to west virginia one of these days or like do you tell them like (laughs) we're gonna go visit like do you you bring that up yeah definitely i i gotta get them down there i really want to get them down there and i want to see everyone um Mm -hmm. in particular i want to get them into southern west virginia you know um just the extraordinary beauty of those deep cuts and mountains man i it's just nothing there is nothing like it literally you know um i don't know if they're you know they're seven and ten yet i don't know if they're in the place where they um they would like fully appreciate what kind of what I'm seeing. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like you also like, 
you know, listen, I, I kind of unfortunately, because it was such a boom, you know, cause such a boom place. I do feel like to truly understand it, you have to have a sense of history as well. Like to truly appreciate when you go into a town like Welsh, like what a town like Welsh means to the context of like the greater, you know, America, yeah. uh, which is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so I, for me, and like, I'm kind of like a, you know, a little bit of a history nerd, you know, mm-hmm. like, for me, you roll into those towns and like, I can feel it, you know, I can feel like, you know, all those hundreds of pictures I've looked at of that place booming, you know, and yeah. whooping ass and like, you know, sending, you know, sending, uh, sending all that coal, you know, north to Pittsburgh, where it like literally went on to build the fabric of this nation, you know, Absolutely. that to me means something. And I think that it's so, I would like them to understand that, um, you know, as well when they go. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, West, I mean, it's cliche, but West Virginians know it. When you're back in the state, there's a, a feeling that you have being back in West Virginia. I mean, Pocahontas County is arguably one of the most the beautiful spots of the state. <laughs> okay. So I want to move on to United Shades of America. I know it's another project in relating to Appalachia and, you know, storytelling about it. Talk to us about that. What was that like? What was that experience like? Yeah, totally. I, you know, uh, so United Shades of America is a show that I worked on uh, after working uh with tony after we lost tony uh with w kamau bell who actually mm-hmm. like we had met on a shoot in kenya uh where we had done a joint episode um with tony and kamau and uh, then we ended up working together which is great and uh when we were filming the show in uh in west virginia um uh, in mcdowell county i really i felt like you know we there was an acknowledgement of the black population of of central appalachia in that show but we didn't get to like we didn't get to tell the whole story and and uh not that you can ever really tell the whole story it's mm-hmm. you know it's a huge very storied mm-hmm. history but like um we just got to wing it you know and i and like we kind of always felt like that was a story that needed to be told as well because another again like very few people know that there's like a there was a significant black population especially in like southern west virginia but yeah throughout central appalachia that played a very key role and continues to play a very key role in like who we are as a nation you know um and so we kind of knew we needed to go back and tell that story and so when when we started on united shades of america that was always like part of it and uh and cnn was cool enough to let us go and do it and i had known crystal good from the um from the Tony first episode. West Virginia episode yeah. right and was kind of like you know crystal is crystal is a hugely dynamic very i think very important person to the context of like everything that's you know kind of going on currently in in west virginia and especially you know in the black community in west virginia and so where we kind of like again we kind of did a little piece with her uh which was actually super cool but a little piece in the west virginia show with tony like with this it was like we need to feature you and you just need to take us through central appalachia and that's what we did wow. and oh, yeah. uh and we just kind of dug in with the black population of central appalachia to get a sense of what they're about uh hung with uh, marcus oglesby's like a, a amazing uh musician kind of a renaissance man actually a musician hunter a teacher a comedian and uh hung out with crystal you know quite a bit hung out with dr bill turner um and you know kind of went through central appalachia ending at jason tart's farm in mcdowell county mm-hmm. um wow which is yeah. a, a very awesome. powerful powerful yeah. place then what yeah. what jason tart is doing down there is uh like really really amazing and uh 
um, he deserves I mean, a ton of credit. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a lot of work he's put in down there to do something really good. Yeah. And Crystal, um, too. Shout out to Crystal for her yeah. black publication, West by God. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. sends that thing all over the state of West Virginia, and they just picked up uh, yeah. like a partnership. She's partnered with Mountain State Spotlight now to get in that. And so her yeah. circulation is growing by the day, and it's just mm-hmm. awesome to see the steps that she's taken to to continue to totally. give that community uh, a light, a microphone, and attention. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like that's what's so cool is it's like it is such an important community. You know, you look at the whole context again. You know, so much of like the core of of what it is to be American came out of those mountains. You know, yes. and the black population of those mountains contributed so much in that way, uh, in, in, in sweat and, in, in hard work and, you know, in culture, food and language. Yeah. And, you know, you look at all of the brilliant poets that came out of that area. You look at all of the brilliant, you know, thinkers, all the revolutionaries, all the artists, uh, that came out of that area. It's, it's, it's really incredible, you know, sure. what it produced. And that, that is true for, uh, that is true for the whole diversity of the area. And it's certainly true for the black population as well. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't have said it better. And we've honestly been mind blown. I mean, we've had, you know, fortune 500 CEOs, you know, musicians, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like the widest range of folks that are the top of, you know, John Chambers is the top of top of the business world and technology. He's from, right. you know, I think Charleston, West Virginia. Right. And I mean, it's just, yeah. You know, th- this state does have a sense of, I think it boils down to we're, it's cliche, like we were a people person, but we just have a different way, I think, of, of treating one another, of talking. It, it feels like if you're out and about and you run into somebody and you're it's outside genuine, of West Virginia, you're like, wait a second, I bet yeah. that person from West Virginia, I just got this weird feeling. They're like, oh yeah, I'm from Ripley or something like that. You're like, oh my yeah. God, I knew it. Like something yeah. about the way, you know, these folks are in these mountains, I think produces high quality, genuine people. So you know, Me too. And, and the more we I mean, can show those stories, uh, the better. Totally. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, off. you're good. Uh, it, you know, you th- think about the values that like the area espouses, you know, it's like rugged independence, you know, mm. hard work, you know, family, uh, you, you know, these are these are values that produce, you know, high quality individuals that produce people that go on to do like great things. When you see those representations on the news, like, yeah. you know, for folks that don't know the area, like, know that that's bullshit. What you're seeing is TV, you know, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is what you're being, you know, sold. Like, that's not the truth of that area, you know. Mm-hmm. The truth of that area is, like, is out there. Just do the research. Look at who's come from, you know, that area. Look at the things they're doing. So, yeah. I'd be remiss yeah. to not shout out uh, – jenna belcher and yeah her connected us and you're actually working with the belcher family on a story right her husband in particular you're working on an upper big branch mine uh documentary it's been over a decade you know kind of tell us a little bit about that too yeah um so that is actually you know i'm i'm kind of like outside just can kind of consulting yeah for sure you know jd jd's doing all the work uh elaine mcmillan sheldon is um is now in, in involved in that as well. You know, she's like an absolute uh, baller, you know, a ca- again, you know, talk about like the, the core of like what Central Appalachia and West Virginia is like, Elaine's, yeah. got, a, Elaine's got a fucking Oscar nomination. Who, who am I? You know, yeah. <laughs> she's the shit, man. And she just comes, she comes directly out of that, that you know, lineage. Her whole family's dynamic, you know, whole family kicks ass. 
like you know her husband Curran's another amazing filmmaker that's there jd belcher is like you know another like amazing filmmaker who's like built a built this media company down there i mean incredible people you know i'm just i'm just kind of consulting from the outside and sharing what i i can know but upper big branch right i mean it's like a super super important story to be told you know um which i think speaks so much to like again that that the legacy of what the industries of extraction have meant um to the people of west virginia and something that everyone should really know about Mm -hmm. um i mean jd's got you know (laughs) jd will will go and make that thing because that's the kind of person he is well look man you know we try to tell authentic West Virginia stories on here you're certainly your work that you've done to highlight the state the region the culture the people it's it's not uh taken lightly man it means a lot to us personally it means a lot to West Virginia I think you you have it spot on you know the nuances and you're showcasing the work you've done have showcased it with partnership of all these I mean hell I think we've had like we've I think we know like five six of the same people even just on our podcast of all the people that you've worked with so it's just it's just truly amazing man and you know we, we thank you for spending you know some time with us and reflecting on oh, all of man. it thank you guys and like the greatest honor like i can hope is that like anyone in west virginia thinks that i get it at all you know what i mean like <laughs> i spent some time there that was important to me but like i'm an outsider you know and mm-hmm. uh and it's like it's it's a huge honor you know yeah um the place i care about deeply and uh yeah, man, just want to shout out to Mike Costello and the Calcaloo Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> you don't cool. love that place. You got to stay in that place sometimes. <laughs>